I'd like to thank Aaron K for sponsoring this week's Torah content. June is less than a month away, which means that I'll soon be transitioning into summer writing mode with more Substack articles and fewer recorded shirim. The bulk of these articles will remain free. However, if you would like to support my Torah and access additional spicy written content, consider becoming a paid subscriber by going to rabbishneweiss.substack.com. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the audio version of the four-page article I wrote and published on my blog, Koas Redim, on August 2nd, 2021, entitled, On Seeing the Hearts of Human Beings. And this article is four pages rather than one page because I wrote it earlier in the summer before I made the decision to write one-page articles. Before we start, this article, well, not just this article, but today's Torah content is dedicated to the joyous occasion of the marriage of John Deutsch and Abigail Lev. John has graduated from student to co-worker to Habrusa and friend. Abigail, another former student and fellow Slytherin, remains a daily presence in my virtual base midrash. I am happy for both of them and excited to see where life leads them. Without further ado, the article on seeing the heart, the hearts of human beings. Section one is entitled Seeing the Heart of David. With few exceptions, Tanakh tends to eschew descriptions of the physical appearances of its characters. Two of those exceptions can be found in Sefer Shmuel. The first is Shaul. Uh, this is from uh, Shmuel Aleph 9.2. And Kish had a son whose name was Shaul, young and handsome, and there was not among the children of Israel a more handsome person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was taller than any of the people. End quote. The second notable exception is David, about whom it is said, uh, and this is from Shmuel Aleph 16.12. Now he was ruddy, admoni, with beautiful eyes, yafe enayim, and a goodly appearance, tov roi, end quote. In context, it is easy to see why these physical descriptions are relevant to the narrative. Shmuel Hanavi is sent by Hashem to anoint a new king to replace Shaul. He is told that the new king will be one of the sons of Yishai. He makes the journey to Yishai's house, and the sons are summoned. Quote from uh, Shmuel Aleph 16, 6 through 7. And it was upon their arrival that Shmuel saw Eliav and said, Surely Hashem's anointed is before me. But Hashem said unto Shmuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his tall stature, for I have rejected him. For it is not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but Hashem sees the heart. And in fact, you know what? I should probably just read this uh, in the Hebrew. Pardon me while I look it up. I did not include the Hebrew in the uh, in the article. So the Hebrew says... Uh, yeah. Ki lo asher yireh adam, ki adam yireh le'ainayim, varashem yireh le'levav. Uh, for it is not as man sees. Uh, for man looks at the outward appearance, but Hashem sees the heart. Okay, so that's end quote. Shmuel then cycles through the rest of Yishai's sons before finally settling on David. Uh, quote from sixteen eight through twelve. Yishai then called uh, Vinadav and brought him before Shmuel, but he said, Hashem has not chosen this one either. Then Yishai brought Shammah, but Shmuel said, Hashem has not chosen this one either. Yishai presented his seven sons before Shmuel, but Shmuel said to Yishai, Hashem has not chosen these. Shmuel said, are all are these all the boys? And he said, the youngest one is still left. He is tending the sheep now. So Shmuel said to Yishai, send and bring him, for we will not sit to dine until he arrives here. He sent and brought him. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a goodly appearance. Hashem then said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. Uh, end quote. The question is, what was Shmuel's mistake? The fact that Hashem had to correct him, saying, do not look at his appearance or at his tall stature, for man looks at the outward appearance, but Hashem sees the heart, implies that Shmuel erroneously focused on David's outward appearance. How are we to understand Shmuel's error? 
Are we to think that such a great prophet as Shmuel got caught up in appearance-based superficialities? And if Shmuel was merely concerned about how the new king would be perceived in the eyes of the people, did he really think that such considerations outweigh the quality of the king's heart? The Malbim provides a conceptually and textually sound answer. So this is a uh, fairly lengthy quotation from the Malbim's commentary on He Was Ruddy. Malbim writes, quote, here is shown to us the truth of what was written earlier, for it is not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but Hashem sees the heart. For David was ruddy, indicating that redness was dominant in him. Uh, and side note here, or footnote, I should say, um, I don't fully understand what he means by redness was dominant in him. My guess is that it reflects some sort of theory of humorism, uh, like the four humors. I don't think it matters much as long as we take it at his uh, this as his factual premise and then see how he applies it. So going back to the Malbim, for David was ruddy, indicating that redness was dominant in him, and he was therefore genetically disposed to commit acts of bloodshed. At the same time, good qualities were also indicated in him, for he had quote, beautiful eyes and a goodly appearance, uh, end quote, which indicated that he was analytically sharp-minded and he had a healthy constitution. If Shmuel had only relied on, this is still the Malbim, if Shmuel had only relied on his human perception, he would have concluded that David was not worthy of being king. But Hashem sees heart and knew that out of his good free will decisions, he would do only justice and righteousness and that he would use the nature of redness implanted within him to wage the wars of Hashem and to annihilate the doers of iniquity from every city. This is what is desirable in the eyes of Hashem, that even though a person has a natural inclination towards evil, he should rule over it with righteousness and good free will decisions. This is the intent of that which was written, arise and anoint him for this is he. Namely, this is the one who is desirable, desirable before me, before Hashem. Uh, end quote from the Malbim. According to the Malbim, Shmuel's mistake did not stem from a misguided overvaluation of appearances. Rather, he was legitimately concerned that David's natural disposition towards violence as indicated by his ruddy appearance, would render him unfit to be king over Israel. Indeed, this was a legitimate concern. Uh, this is precisely why Hashem needed to step in and provide assurance from, this, from the perspective of divine omniscience, saying, It is true that such a disposition could render a man unfit to be king, but this man will harness his aggressive nature and channel it towards the good. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a goodly appearance. His potentially destructive nature will be actualized, but for the good. Okay, section two of the article, Seeing the Hearts of Our Fellow Human Beings. One of the central ethical mitzvahs of the Torah is the halachta bidrachav, you shall walk in his ways, with a capital H. The Rambam defines this mitzvah as follows, quote, we are commanded to make ourselves resemble him, exalted is he, in accordance with our ability. As it is stated, you shall walk in his ways, from Devarim 28.9. This commandment has been repeated in the statement, to walk in all his ways, from Devarim 11.24. The oral Torah's explanation of this matter is as follows. So this is now the Ramam quoting Sifrei. Sifrei says, Just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called merciful, so shall you be merciful. Just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called gracious, so shall you be gracious. Just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called righteous, so shall you be righteous. Just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called kind, so shall you be kind. End quote from the Sifrei, still in the Rambam. And this commandment has been repeated in different words. Uh, as it says in Devarim 13.5, You shall follow after Hashem your God. And its explanation is also that we should make our good actions and lofty character traits resemble those which are ascribed to him, may he be exalted, by way of allegory. May he be exceedingly exalted over everything. End quote from the Rambam. And that was from the Rambam in the Sefer Mitzvos, uh, Mitzvos Hase 8. The core of this mitzvah is that we should model our own actions and characteristics after the allegorical descriptions of Hashem's actions and characteristics. If so, then Hashem's statement to Shmuel, for it is not as a man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but Hashem sees the heart, 
That statement is not to be understood merely as a particular correction of a particular man's mistake, but as a universal ethical imperative. Accordingly, we must ask ourselves, what can we do to emulate the divine attribute of looking past outward appearances of our fellow human beings and instead to see their heart? I recently finished reading Dr. Tara Brock's book, Radical Compassion. In chapter 9, entitled Seeing the Goodness, Tara writes about techniques for remembering to see the basic goodness in all human beings. Rather than attempt to summarize the main ideas of the chapter, which are built upon previous chapters, I'd like to relate a story the author heard uh, at a Christmas Eve church service. When combined with the Malbim's commentary, I believe this provides us with an approach to answering our question. So this is from Tara Brock's Radical Compassion, Chapter 9. One Christmas day, a woman, her husband, and their year-old son had driven a long way before they found an open diner by the side of the road. It was quiet and almost empty, and they were waiting uh, gratefully for their food when the little boy began waving from his high chair and calling, Hi there, to someone behind them. To the mother's dismay, it turned out to be a wreck of a man, unkempt and unwashed, obviously a homeless drunk. Now he was waving back at her boy, calling, Hi there, baby. Hi there, big boy. I see a buster. The woman and her husband exchanged looks, and a few other people in the diner were shooting disapproving glances their way. And the old guy went on, even after their food came. Do you know a patty cake? Attaboy. Do you know peekaboo? Hey, look, he knows peekaboo. The mother tried turning the high chair around, but her son shrieked and twisted his face uh, to face his new buddy. Finally, giving up on their meal, her husband got up to pay the, the bill, and the mother took the baby in her arms, praying that she could quickly get past the old drunk who was seated by the door. But as they approached, her son reached out with both arms, his pick-me-up signal, and propelled himself into the man's open arms. But now the mother could see tears in the man's eyes as her son laid his head on his shoulder. He gently held and rocked the boy, and then he looked straight into her eyes. You take care of this baby, he said firmly. And he, as he slowly handed him back, God bless you, ma'am. You've given me my Christmas gift. She must have mumbled something in return, but as she rushed to the car, tears streaming down her face, she could only think, my God, my God, forgive me. Okay, that's the end quote from Tara Brock. This woman underwent a shift in her perspective akin to what Shmuel Hanavi experienced. At first, she could only see this man's outward appearance. He was homeless. He was drunk. He was dirty. He was what Tara calls an unreal other a person who happens to belong to the same species as ourselves, but is somehow less real than ourselves and, and those with whom we identify. And this man's homelessness, drunkenness, and dirtiness served as evidence to expand his unreal otherness by generating a complete past, present, and future of him in her mind. On that basis, whether consciously or unconsciously, this man was written off as being intrinsically worth less than she, her husband, and her baby, and was destined to remain as such. It was only when she saw the man's reaction to her baby, to her baby's natural and unbiased reaction to another human being, that she was able to see the heart of this man. And when he looked her into her eyes and expressed gratitude, he became a real person, just like her. Now, one might object to this line of reasoning, saying that seeing an unreal other as a real person has nothing to do with emulating Hashem's seeing the heart mentioned in Sefer Shmuel. After all, according to the Malvin, Hashem's proclamation of David's worthiness to be king was predicated on the knowledge that he would make good free will decisions, choosing to channel his natural tendencies to his service of God. Such knowledge can only come from divine, uh, um, uh, from divine omnipotence, sorry, not omnipotence, from divine omniscience, uh, which by definition is impossible for human beings to emulate uh, and wouldn't even fall under the purview of the Halakhta Bidrachav. I disagree. When the Raman introduces the mitzvah by saying we are commanded to make ourselves resemble him in accordance with our ability uh, and we should make our good actions and lofty character traits resemble those which are ascribed to him by way of allegory, he is acknowledging that the fact 
uh, he's acknowledging the fact that the divine attributes are intrinsically different from our human emulations of them. Indeed, the entire first section of the Mora Hanavuchim, the Guide for the Perplexed, substantiates this reading. Moreover, as my Rosh Hashiva pointed out, the Sifrei cited by the Rambam bears out this point. Chazal do not say, just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is merciful, so shall you be merciful, but rather, just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called merciful, so shall you be merciful. In other words, Hashem's mercy is of, is of a fundamentally different nature than human mercy, and there's absolutely no way we can emulate it. Rather, we must study Hashem's modes of action as presented in Tanakh and translate them into human ethical standards. Such is the approach I am suggesting here. Unlike Hashem, we lack the ability to see into the hearts of our fellow human beings to know what choices they will make. But like Hashem, we can take active steps to look past their outward appearances, to refrain from making definitive judgments and predictions of their future behavior on the basis of what our eyes see, as if we were as omniscient as God, and instead to see them as a fellow Tzalem created with a divine form, with the same humanity as, our, as ourselves. Of course, this doesn't mean that we ought to be naive or unrealistically optimistic in our dealings with other people. If, for example, an actual mugger approaches us on the street, we should take whatever precautions are necessary. But at the same time, we can still see that person as a fellow human being. Final section, final paragraph, entitled Seeing Our Own Hearts. Most importantly, this perspective must be applied to our own hearts. When we look in the mirror, we must see past the misplaced feelings of certainty we have about our destiny based on, uh, sorry, about our quote-unquote destiny based on our dispositions and the lot we were dealt in life. There is no such thing as destiny. It says in Devarim 30, uh, Psukim 15 and 19, See, I have placed before you today the life and the good and the death and the bad. Choose life that you and your offspring may live. We cannot choose our genetics or our circumstances, but we can choose what to do with them. By seeing our own heart through divine eyes, we unlock our ability to choose life. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are matt-schneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.